Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Huntington here, and this is The Doug Show. And in this episode, I interview Sam McRoberts. And Sam is the founder of Voodoo Marketing, and that's V-U-D-U Marketing. And he is an exceptional SEO. When he contacted me, I was like, I think I've heard of this guy before. Why do I know this guy? And then I did a little research and realized that I heard Sam for the first time uh, with Pat Flynn because Sam audited Smart Passive Income back in the day. In fact, that's one of the topics that we talk about in the interview. Um, uh, Actually, I got my start making money online and working online and any sort of marketing uh, from Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income. So I was like, yeah, Sam, we could definitely we could definitely do a show. I'm glad you reached out. The cool thing is Sam Sam is a traveler as well. He's a digital nomad. He and his family um, like packed up and, and they're on the road a lot of the time. Um, they do sort of like slow and long term travel, which I can appreciate. That's the sort of traveling I like to do versus like uh, visiting for a short amount of time. So Sam and I talk about how he got started in SEO. We talk about working with Pat Flynn and the audit that he did for Smart Passive Income. By the way, you can go check out that original interview and some of the show notes and stuff on the Smart Passive Income podcast if you're interested. Before I send it to the interview, I want to let you know that Sam has a couple courses on SEO. One's oriented towards like individuals and the other one's more at the corporate level. So have a look if you need some help in the like just basic um, like pure SEO area and you you don't need help specifically on like affiliate marketing or content on the content side or something like that, um, check it out. Like I said, Sam has uh, some pretty awesome SEO chops. He has very good credentials. He's worked with awesome people and it was a pleasure interviewing him. So let's send it over to the interview now. Thanks a lot, Sam. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here, and I'm with Sam McRoberts. How are you doing today? Hey, Doug. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And we we don't know each other well, which is one of my favorite sort of interviews to do because we'll be able to get to know each other a little bit and then dive into some deeper sort of advanced topics with SEO, uh, digital nomad stuff, and probably like just general internet marketing. So for people that don't know you, Sam, can you give us a little bit of an intro? Yeah. Uh, So I started into the world of online marketing, web design back in the late 90s. I had an English teacher who realized that I hated the normal English curriculum and she thought it'd be more uh, a better use of my time to have me learn how to build websites and write copy for those. So cool English teacher. Thank thankful for her kicking me off into that sphere. And I just kind of stuck with it ever since. Um, Helped my mom run an eBay business for a while. Uh, got into doing SEO and web design at a small agency and then a bigger agency. And, you know, over time, I've just kind of built my way up through the industry. And now I've been doing my own thing for a couple of years. Very cool. And like back in those eBay days, like what sort of stuff were you doing? Just curious. Oh boy, you know, building websites in like hot dog editor, writing titles and descriptions. I mean, the stuff that worked SEO wise was, you know, garbage compared to now, right? Just keywords anywhere you could put them, sticking stuff in the the far corner of the non-visible part of the website or mass links from any directory anywhere. Google was very indiscriminate in the early days. 
That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny how far things have progressed and, you know, new updates are coming out, like seems like daily or, you know, hourly or something like that over the past year or so. How have you yeah. like been able to stay like on top of it, um, as you've progressed over, you know, like the lifespan of the internet, it seems. Yeah. I mean, I'd say half of it is just always being in the weeds, working on people's sites, seeing the problems that are cropping up. Uh, and then the other half is ear to the ground, listening to what other people are finding. You know, the SEO industry is full of like Sherlockian sleuths who are constantly paying attention to every little uptick and downtick and digging in. And so I, there's, while there's a lot of conspiracies, there's also a lot of really sharp people who, who see everything that Google does and share their hypotheses uh, pretty openly. So I think if you, if you're in the weeds and then paying attention to the industry, it's not too hard to keep up. Cool. And well, to go a little deeper on that and we're going like advanced uh, pretty quick here, but it's just, uh, I want to dive into like some of these recent algorithm updates. Um, maybe I, I think there were a couple sort of like around this time last year in 2018. So like August, September, October timeframe, a lot of it was around um, like trust and authority and just expertise. Um, and a lot of people, unfortunately, they'll say they know exactly what to do to, you know, fix things up right after the update. But I, th I feel like, I think the updates are getting more complex. It's a little harder to figure out. So what have, what are your observations around that sort of thing? Yeah. So the eat thing is, uh, it's an interesting one. I wish you could say, oh yeah, there's a, there's a quick fix, but you know, it takes time to build authority. Uh, it takes time to build a name in a space. And I think Google's getting much better at determining not only which sites, but which authors are genuinely authoritative in their space based on tons of data. Like, you know, I, in the scientific field, are they publishing? Are those going up in peer-reviewed journals? Uh, are those getting cited a lot? Like Google's trying to gather as much data as they can, especially for you know more sensitive, like your money, your life type stuff, to make sure that they're not promoting and, and ranking things well that are pseudoscience, dangerous, unfounded. Uh, and I think a lot of sites that just put up anything they wanted in those spaces got caught up in that. So Google's trying to make sure that, you know, for those sorts of queries where expertise, authority, and trust really, really matter, that they're finding sites and individuals who really meet their parameters. Um, and then at the same time, a lot of the more recent updates have been around uh, searcher intent. And so, you know, I've seen sites lose a fair amount of traffic where they're a good site, they're a good site in their space, but they were getting a lot of traffic from keywords where, you know, maybe the bounce rate was a little too high or the, the searcher intent wasn't quite a perfect match. And so they're not getting penalized. It's just Google's doing better at sending people to the stuff they really want and not stuff that like, hey, maybe this is a fit, but I'm not sure. Very good. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen, like, like you said, it takes time for the authority to build. And, you know, if you try to fix everything in like a week, it may not work for forever or it may take several months or whatever. So it's just, it's very, from my perspective, it's frustrating when someone comes out and they're like, Hey, if you just do this, like I figured it out, like they definitely haven't figured it out. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things, right? Even if you've even if you've been in your space for a long period of time, even if you've been writing about a topic for a long period of time, in a way that may make you sort of expert-ish, but that may not make you expert enough from Google's perspective. So if you're, you know, even if you've been writing about the health and nutrition space for a decade, if you're not a doctor, not licensed or certified, not being cited in papers, not connected to a university, maybe you're still not relevant enough uh, for some of those queries where Google's trying to be a little more careful. Right. So let's switch gears just a little bit before we, you know, talk about a little bit more beginner sort of topics for SEO. Um, you travel a little bit, right? So can you tell me about your journey as far as a digital nomad and like where you're at now? Yeah. So my wife and son and I started traveling early in 2018, uh, started in South America and then have spent most of the time working our way through Western and Central Europe. And so at the moment we're in Romania, um, headed to London and then Spain soon. But I, we we love it. Like it's the coolest lifestyle I could ever imagine. <laughs> so, like, were you pretty grounded before you started traveling in 2018? We, you know, we tried traveling a little earlier. My son was only three, so back in 2014, we went to Italy for three months, and he did not take to traveling well. So we came back home. But like, my wife and I get pretty restless pretty easily, and so you know, we've never. I feel like we've never lived in the exact same place for more than a few years at a time before we feel restless and need to go somewhere else. Gotcha. So, and I was going to say three months is a pretty decent chunk of time. And do you guys still like stay in a spot for, you know, weeks or months? Yeah, we usually aim for somewhere between one and three months, um, with some exceptions. Like London, we're only going to be there a week because it is an obscenely expensive city. But for the most part, we try and spend enough time there to really get to know the city, settle down, get better prices on apartments, that sort of thing. You can, you can like live like a local and you don't have to be in a rush, right? Exactly. I hate the rushing side of travel. I hate it. Like I love being in new places, but the process of getting there, yeah, it drives me crazy. My wife and I, uh, we don't have any kids, but we were doing sort of the slow travel thing. We were working remotely with our corporate jobs before I got laid off. And um, yeah, we would like rent a house for like a month or so. We were going to sort of expensive cities and stuff, not as expensive as London, but we would uh, just hang out and be able to work our normal hours. And it was great to see the city, experience things. And like you said, no rush. Like you, you can have a loose itinerary and sort of stumble your way into some fun things that you wouldn't have otherwise, I guess. Totally. I mean, the best thing for us has just been hitting a city and not having an itinerary, but just walking around each day and pick a different direction and see what we find. Did you have a lot of stuff um, that you had to like put in storage or how did you deal logistically with uh, traveling long term or full time? Yeah, a bit of both. We sold off a lot of stuff. We put some stuff in storage, but not a ton. Um, and then we travel We travel with probably way too much stuff. Uh, we like our comforts. And so we have you know quite a few suitcases. So we still could probably pare back a bit better, but... Oh, that's okay. I mean, you, you want to be comfortable while you're out there. So have you found yourself yeah. like without something that you need and it's, you know, maybe you don't have access to Amazon Prime or something like that? Sometimes. 
Uh, some things have been tricky to get. One of the most annoying things in Europe, honestly, is the way pharmacies work and you know what is or isn't over-the-counter in different places and their attitudes toward different things. Like Some places it's really hard to get birth control. Other places it's over-the-counter and they don't care. Um, some places you can just walk in and get allergy medicine off the shelf. Other places you need a prescription. And so that ambiguity has been frustrating. Um, and then like all the pharmacies over here are still mom and pop style, or at least most of them. So they have kind of a stranglehold on it. So your prices can vary wildly from pharmacy to pharmacy. Hmm. Crazy. I didn't even like, uh, think of that, but yeah, that would be a little frustrating. Yeah. Right. Like you can't go to Costco and get a year's supply of Claritin or Zyrtec. You can get like a month's supply with a prescription, maybe from some pharmacies. <laughs> And then I imagine there's some places where you can get like whatever you can get like, uh, you know, heroin over the counter, right? I'm just kidding about it. <laughs> hard drugs, but you can get like some prescription level drugs yeah. that you can't get in the U S right. Yeah. Some things. And then, you know, Amsterdam, of course you can get pretty much anything, but yeah, I'm in Colorado. So we're kind of loose and, with, with things around here. So, and yeah, we were, we were in Seattle before we left the States. So same camp. Yeah. And it's, it's because I'm from Georgia originally. And like, I feel like we we were just able to get alcohol, you know, <laughs> not that long ago. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so let's get back on topic here. This, this happens with me. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is you uh, worked with Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income on an SEO audit a little while back. Can you tell me how you got involved and um, just what was the outcome there? Yeah. So my buddy Neil Patel connected us, said Pat needed an audit. Um, I'd been a fan of Pat's for a while, listened to the podcast a lot. So I was absolutely, I would love to do that. Did the audit, uh, which is really good. Pat's site was actually in pretty good shape overall. A handful of technical things that needed to get fixed, but his on-page was generally really good and he put a lot of effort into building a rich, clean site. So it was nice to not have to go to him and be like, man, everything's broken. Because it wasn't. He did pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um but he was really nice, really nice guy to work with. I enjoyed doing that. So it sounds like things generally went well. Do you happen to recall, I didn't tell you to prep for this, but uh, do you happen to recall any sort of results um, or um, I guess just details about like what you did? Yeah, actually, I can probably pull up the audit. I think he was pretty transparent with everything on the podcast. Let's see. And while yeah. you're pulling that up, um, I'll just fill time. We don't want dead air here. So, um, I, no, so I've, I've got, oh, you got it. I've already got it. I got it. Uh, so yeah, so, you know, my audits look at three main areas. So there's the on-page keyword centric stuff. There's the technical backend stuff. And then there's the external signals, the links, social signals, unlinked mentions, that sort of thing. So, you know, unsurprisingly, he absolutely killed it. On the linking and social side of things, you know, he's done really, really well there. Uh, his technical was where he had the biggest issues, like page speed was a big problem, and there were some crawl errors. And then on page overall, it was pretty good, but there were a few elements that he'd neglected over time, like meta descriptions, uh, where you know, even though a meta description doesn't directly help SEO, it directly impacts your click through rate, which is huge. Those were like those were the highlights. I mean, technically, the site was pretty sound, other than page load speed and some crawlers. Um, and yeah, the on-page, the vast majority of it was buttoned down. There were just a couple of little things, like the meta descriptions, internal linking could have been a bit better. 
Okay. All right. I'm going to dive into a couple of those areas. So from a page speed perspective, where, where do we want to be? So, you know, ideally somewhere between one and three seconds for a total page load speed, you know, faster for mobile, you can get away with a little bit slower on desktop. Uh, From Google's perspective, Google doesn't process anything that takes longer than five seconds to load on the page. So if it's slower than that, you're, you know, if, if content that matters for your rankings is loading after that, you're in trouble. Okay. And presumably text is loading pretty darn quick and most of us are worried about the text. So as long as your site isn't super slow, like over three seconds, then you're probably okay. You would hope, but you know, a lot of people are starting to pull in text with JavaScript or jQuery or you know, maybe lazy loading parts of the page, uh, maybe only pulling in some of the content further down after they've loaded an ad, or maybe it's stuck behind a, a pop-up that takes too long to go away. Like, There's a lot of things that can kind of get in there and get in between the content and the crawler um, that slow it down, especially if you have, say, an ad-driven site if you're prioritizing ad load ahead of content load, which some sites do, that can get pretty messy. Okay, that makes sense. I've been a little obsessed with uh, like page load speed for a little while, and I've like greatly simplified my site and took, um, yeah, I guess just I, I've ripped a lot of stuff out, and it's loading much faster, and it looks a lot cleaner. It's much different than other sites. Maybe um, I'll ask you about it later. Um, but moving on to meta descriptions. So I, I know that you, in my opinion, I know they used to be super important, but um, Google seems to be just taking whatever they want for the meta description <laughs> in most cases. So I literally stopped doing it a couple of years ago because whatever I put in there was not relevant. So I just make sure my first sentence is tight. And then uh, after that, if Google is pulling something else, then, you know, I assume that they're testing it. So Sam, what, why do we need to do the meta description if Google is just taking whatever they want? So Google only takes whatever they want if they think they can get a better click-through rate than what you've already got. So if I usually recommend that you write your meta description not like everybody else. So if you do a search for whichever keyword or keywords are most important to you, read down that first page of results and see what people are using for descriptions. And then try and come up with a way to explain your page that's completely different. Use use humor, yeah, you know, different sentence styles or structures or cadences, but like you need to stand out on that page if you're gonna want to get click-throughs. And it really for all intents and purposes, it's ad text. Like it's your opportunity to write something that's going to intrigue somebody enough to click through to your site. And so I think if you do a really good job of writing it with clicks in mind, you know, catching people's interest, Google's much less likely to write something different on the fly. Also, if you keep it within their parameters, not too short, not too long, well-structured, not stuffed full of keywords, right? As long as it's well-written and short enough, but not too short, uh, Google will probably leave it alone. Okay. And I take it you have plenty of uh, like case studies and or data where you're like, yep, like we've done a good job copywriting here and they're not messing with it. Yeah, I've seen lots of instances where nobody's ever seen a different meta description come up on their site for their most important pages because those are the ones they've written and op- written and optimized really well. Um, 
that's that seems to be key. You know, Google may still test stuff, right? Like they yank sites into test buckets all the time to tweak things. But overall, I feel if you've done a good job, you should be seeing what you've written. Cool. Okay. That um that is good to know because I've basically like after I I saw this on my sites, I was like, oh, you know what? They're not they're not taking any of the stuff that I'm putting in, so I'm not even going to waste time with it. So I will test that out. Definitely. And you could pick two pages that are, you know, maybe similar in topic, each that rank for something, and then try and write a really, really click-inducing description for one and leave the other one the same and see what happens. Um, Because you can drill in in Search Console to a specific page and look at the impressions and click-through rate over time for that page. So that might, that'd be a fun, it'd be a fun test to do, but yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. And to that point, as far as like click through rate and stuff on the SERPs, um, table of contents. I know some people put a table of contents on like every single post and occasionally, you know, again, you may see those like subheadings or whatever's in your table of contents in the SERPs. So um, have you observed this a lot and do you recommend a table of contents for like every page? I, not necessarily for every page. I think it depends a lot on the length of the page and how you have it broken out. But I've definitely seen a lot more instances of pages that are very long and that use table of contents showing up in search results. And in some cases, those table of contents are helping to lead to you know rich results on the SERP. Okay. Very good. Any other tips on like rich snippets or like FAQs or any any of the other extra things on the SERPs and how we may be able to show up out there? Yeah, I mean, so FAQs, obviously adding in the schema for that can help. I think it's still, uh, the jury is still out on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing as far as it you know affects your click-through rate. Like the upside to getting those rich results is, hey, you rank ahead of everybody else. The downside is that Google's trying to answer things without you know taking somebody off the search page. So it may or may not actually be good for your traffic. Uh, I think it depends a lot on the space and how well that snippet answers their questions. Um, I think, and this is really more in line with content creation in general. So content that's long enough to need a table of contents is generally able to hit a topic from a lot of different angles. And Google seems to have a high preference for that. So instead of sending... Because they see the they see the whole string of search queries, right? Somebody who searches uh, best cities in Southeast Asia, right? Maybe they're looking to move, or maybe they're looking to travel. It's still a bit ambiguous. Person who then searches best time of year to visit Taiwan. Uh, all right, they're getting a little more specific. And then cheapest hotels in Taiwan in September, right? Like bit by bit, people are dialing in their queries. So if you can create a piece of content that can help answer all of these questions that somebody might have through their query lifecycle for a specific topic, that one unified page is much more likely to rank. Got it. So... I created this concept called the keyword golden ratio. You may not be familiar with it at all. Have you heard of it or anything? I'm familiar with the golden ratio, but okay. not the keyword golden ratio. <laughs> it's just clever branding on my part. There's no actual relationship to the golden ratio. But that's okay. the point. Yeah, like you 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 recognize the term, you're like, hey, maybe I should check this out. So basically it is a way to find like keywords that are underserved on the internet. So the 
keyword golden ratio is the all entitled results, like the number of all entitled results divided by the search volume. So it's, it's an old school way to do keyword research. I think people probably used yep. to do that way back, right? Did you? Yep. So it's manual. You probably realize, Sam, that like if you try and do very many of these all entitles, Google will throttle you. They think you're a bot, stuff like that. So, but it turns out that um, if you do this and you look for keywords that have a search volume under 250 or so, usually you can target that like very specific query and usually rank um, pretty darn quick. If you do the math backwards, you end up with like 62 and a half. So it means there's 62 and a half or fewer, 62 or fewer um, results out there. And if you write a good piece of content, a lot of times you'll show up in the top 50. Now it's cool for a lot of folks in my audience because they are affiliate marketers. They're dabbling. Maybe they've never ranked anything in the top 250 ever. So if they're able to do this, they get some traction, they could tweak things because now they're getting some data and you know they believe they have momentum. So this is going in the opposite direction from what you just described. So What's your take on that? I know I threw a lot at you, but I think you see what I'm getting at. Micro, sure. like m- micro queries, very specific versus like the broad, all encompassing topic and content. Yeah, I think if you're going after the long tail, then going that way makes a lot more sense. But if you know, a lot of people still go after the the head terms. They want to rank for the the big boy, massive traffic stuff. And to do that, you have to be pretty comprehensive. But of course, I think the longer tail you go in your query and the the more niche the phrase, the more specific you could be in your answer. And, you know, what was it? Was it Einstein who said, you know, make something as simple as possible and no simpler? You don't want to make your, you want to make your content as short as you can, but no shorter to fully answer a searcher's query. You know, if you can do that in 200 words, then do it in 200 words. And if it takes 2,000, do it in 2,000. But make sure that you are concise but effective in how you're answering those queries. Perfectly said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, to sort of tie it tie it together, um, I believe those, you know, the big boy terms or big girl terms that we're talking about yep. here, um, like they could take a while to rank. You may need a lot of backlinks, but um, sort of the scenario that I've seen a lot is like if someone has sort of a, you know, a silo of content, we'll call it, or a cluster or however you want to describe it. You have content around this topic with a bunch of these like long tail, I call them KGR terms. Um, you could rank for those and then you can, you know, interlink in an intelligent, relevant way to your, you know, bigger piece of content that's going to take more time. And thus you have relevance. You're actually ranking for terms that are related. And from my perspective, from what I've seen, it works pretty well. And I, I bet you've seen it um, is I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but have you observed a similar thing? Yes. Yeah. You can go about it both ways. You can build out a really rich piece of content and then use that to help a bunch of other things rank, or you can do it in reverse. Uh, and for, you know, I'd say for a smaller site or somebody with less budget, it's a lot easier to do it the other way. It just takes longer. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. It's good to get confirmation on like, you know, what I'm doing from someone who has like a completely different set of uh, data and that sort of thing. So very cool. All right. We're going to jump back to like, beginner SEO. So what are some of the like most common mistakes that you see when people come to you for help? So I'd say the biggest ones, 
page load speed is huge. <laughs> I feel like most people have never even given it any thought, and they have tons of third-party tools and plugins and you know huge images, and it's just nobody nobody has been like, wait a second, like is this going to be a good experience? You know, it, I feel like most developers are just trying to make a pretty experience. So that's a huge one. I'd say almost every site that I end up auditing is far slower than it could be. Um, I'd say another really common problem is just technical errors, whether it's crawl errors or missing redirect rules, uh, just having kind of a messy site. You know, URLs have changed over time and not been pointed somewhere else, or you have three different ways to reach your homepage because you don't have your basic redirect rules in place. Uh, that's very common also. Um, and then beyond that, like link building is still and really has always been kind of difficult. And I think for a lot of sites, it's just not a priority. They'll they'll earn whatever links they earn naturally, but don't ever put any effort into building them. And so that's and you know unless it's a big and that's almost always a sticking point. I I see that as well, especially especially with new folks because they're a little bit nervous to reach out to anyone. They're afraid to get rejected, but that's just part of the game from my perspective. So like, do you have any specific tips on like getting links, especially for beginners? Yeah. I mean, I feel like a really simple way is just go find the relevant subreddits for your topic and share your article. Uh, you could use a small amount of money and do some ads on social, like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Twitter ads, targeting people who are, you know, have a relevant interest or on Twitter who follow somebody in particular. Um, just getting content in front of a relevant audience. Or you can search for people, you can use like BuzzSumo to see which content on competitor sites has gotten a lot of traction, and then go see who has shared and interacted with that content, and then just go share it with them as well. Send them an email, share it with them on Twitter. Like it's, it's still a fairly manual process, right? Link building, you know, doing it the right way is manual. Anything, anything that scales in link building is probably going to get you in trouble at some point, I feel like. Uh, but yeah, it just it takes, takes time and effort. But putting a little bit of effort into figuring out where your audience is spending their time and then sharing it with them there seems to be pretty effective. To, to uh, like, I guess, go deeper on the scaling part, I agree with you, by the way. Um, I end up getting a lot of emails. I bet you get a lot of emails, too, for people that just want to link to their site. And... Um, <laughs> You know, there's hey, more... Doug, loved this article that you wrote. It's really great. I just recently put together this piece of content I think you'd really like. Here's a link. If you'd mention it over on this page of yours, right? Yeah, like, that, that one. Or like, uh, you know, Brian Dean had his templates that he was sending out um, at one point. And um, it's like, hey, do you want to see this piece of content? And then I have to send another email. I already get too many emails. No, I don't want to see it. Like, uh, yeah, so those are terrible. Yeah, I hate those. I get so many of them. Um, and I, I forget the exact question. This is just a venting session for, for us. <laughs> like, I mean, the tools are sophisticated. So they're sending like reminder emails. People are just loading in a bunch of email addresses and maybe they're mentioning a specific article, but um, the, they're such weak pitches. So, I mean, do you see those being um, like flagged as spam at some point uh, or, I mean, is that just the way it's going to go? Are we all going to get like way more spam? Like we're getting like telemarketers calling our phones and stuff. 
I feel like most of them probably get flagged as spam at this point. I rarely see any of them hit, actually hitting my inbox. I only see them when I go and check my spam folder to make sure nothing got through that shouldn't have been spam. Because um, Google's wise to it, right? It's a mess, and the people who are doing that at scale are just turds of the industry. It drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And there's courses out there teaching it, and I'm like, no, you need to be like surgical about this. You don't need as many links. You need some good ones out there. And you and you hear people say it, and maybe it sounds kind of trite, but like if you build good enough content, you're not gonna have a hard time getting people to link to it and share it. Like, just make something that's good enough. Put the time and effort into creating content that's actually helpful and worth sharing, and better than anything else on the subject by a mile. You'll get the links. Yeah, and I think, um, like you said, people will share it, and on social that is big because I'm not a social media person. I kind of hate it, but I have observed like things are being shared in certain Facebook groups, and I'm not doing it because you know no one wants to hear self promotion. But if someone else does it, it has way more merit. I think. And I think, I mean, in those scenarios, I think self-promotion is fine as long as it's relevant. If it's actually going to help people who are in that audience, then in a way you're doing them a disservice by not sharing. But don't constantly be hawking your stuff everywhere you go, especially when it's not relevant. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think, you know what, I just have a bad attitude. So I was like, I don't want to deal with these people. They're being mean to me in the comments, so I'm out. But uh, that's just my own personal <laughs> personal take. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you've got to be careful about where where you go to share it. You don't, you know, you don't want to share your content in places that are just oversaturated. Uh, but like, I, I I think of it as don't make minimum pieces of flair content. I love the movie Office Space, and it's like, look, if you're if you're looking out there, all right, what's the absolute least I can get away with for this piece of content on my site? Then you know your crap doesn't deserve to get linked to, and it doesn't deserve to get shared. But so you you mentioned Brian uh, Brian Dean, like his Backlinko's content is just insanely good. He spends what twenty to a hundred hours generating a single piece of content. There are thousands of words. They have screenshots. They have video. They have tables. Like they're they're so well built. If you build content like that, your odds of getting shares and links and ranking is really good. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, he, and he doesn't even have that much content either. Like on a you know. URL basis, like it's, yeah, it's like forty tight. pages. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of people uh, in in my area, they're, they're talking about like authority sites versus niche sites, and there's various definitions out there. Which, I mean, I can't argue with someone's particular definition, but uh, Backlinko is one of the sites that I I cite where I'm like, he doesn't have much content, but he's definitely an authority in the industry. It's an it's an authority type site. Um, but he has long form, you know, 40 posts or whatever, 50 posts. Yeah. All right. Now moving on to a little bit more like link building for early, like uh, new sites, I guess. Is there any like specific plan that you would advise folks? Let's say they're launching an affiliate site and, you know, they have say 10, 15 pieces of content. They want to start promoting link building, networking in the industry. Do you have any... Uh, I guess, direction on the link velocity, anchor text, where the links go, and just the whole plan. 
I mean, I think link velocity just depends a lot on your space. Google's got such huge, huge data sets. And so they know what's normal for your industry, a site of your size, a site of your age. Um, I feel like using Majestic and looking at what that looks like over time for a few sites in your industry might be a good gauge. Uh, In terms of how many to build or how to go about it, I, I would honestly say... In the early days of a site, you should probably treat link building like you would in the early days of raising capital for a startup, which is friends and family. (laughs) Work your own network, people you know with websites that are about the space, trade favors with people in your industry, be like, hey, you know, we'll write an article and link to this page of yours, you write an article and link to this different page of ours. Um, That sort of stuff can be very effective. I would generally recommend against buying any links unless you can do it in a very careful way. Google's Google's just getting way too good at spotting that sort of stuff. And so if it doesn't look perfectly editorial, you're you're running a risk if you're buying. Um, and then I would say paying a lot of attention to the sites that you're getting links from and making sure that they're topically relevant. Right? Like if you're running a, a site doing affiliates for I don't know, a local car dealership or somebody who sells top tier construction equipment or whatever it is. If you're getting your links from a mommy blog, like it just doesn't fit. So make sure the places you're getting links from fit contextually. Like it makes sense for page A to link to, to site B. If it doesn't make sense, then, you know, it's not going to make sense to a machine that has a crap ton of data. <laughs> and as far as like where the links should go, again, Let's say you have, let's say it's a little bit more of an established site. Let's say there's 50 pages and, um, you know, there's a handful of links sort of uh, just distributed through the site. Um, Typically, I've been like aiming for about half the links to go to the homepage and the other uh, links for inner pages. Um, Is that about right or do you have some other advice with it? That seems to be pretty normal. I feel like most sites have somewhere between 50% and 80% of their links going to the homepage, um, with some exceptions. I mean, there are some sites that are known for just one or two pieces of content, where those pieces of content get the vast majority of links. So I think that's another one where you might want to take a look at what your space looks like. But I don't think you're ever going to go wrong with half and half. Um, and by far, the most the, the places to link to that make the most sense are going to be the homepage and blog posts. Those are the pages that tend to get the most links by far. You know, your your random about us page or you know company product page, like maybe not so much. Uh, yeah. Okay, got it. And I think you know to highlight what you said, like certain pages will get a ton of links because maybe they rank number one at the right time when the trend was hitting and everyone's paying attention, and then all of a sudden. Um, a bigger blogger links to you and then all the people that read that blog link to you if they have a blog. So you could yeah, end up and, with these anomalies. And, and they're like, exactly, exactly. You know, maybe you, maybe you have the coolest 404 page in the world. And so your 404 page gets all these links from all of these 404, cool 404 page roundups and you end up with more links on your 404 than you have on your homepage. So like, there's weird outlier scenarios like that. But generally it's the homepage that gets the most. All right. So we'll start, uh, I guess, winding down a little bit, but I'm curious, have you had uh, like any penalties? I know you started like way back in the day. So we were a little loose and free and, uh, you know, maybe some things got out of hand. So just curious, all, all good SEOs have some stories. 
Totally. Yeah. So I've had my own personal sites penalized a couple times. Uh, in most cases, I just ignored it and they eventually went away. Um, I, I really don't like disavow files. I think they're largely unnecessary and there are some exceptions. But I've also worked with a bunch of different clients over the years who've been penalized. And you know, almost always it's link related. They did something shady back in the day. They got a manual penalty because they have too much anchor text. In those cases, if you have a manual penalty, if it's link related, anchor text related, like you're going to have to do some cleanup and do a disavow, a disavow. There's really no other way around that. Uh, but yeah, it, it happens. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, I've had a little experience with, uh, well, just manual penalties where like, you know, everything was up in smoke, basically burned to the ground. So just had to move on at that point. But, uh, yeah, disavow files. Like I, I've, I've used them, uh, especially with like negative SEO. Have you seen negative SEO be effective where you do have to take action? So I ran some tests Oh gosh, it's probably been six or seven years now. Uh, using Fiverr, and you know, me and a couple of friends in the industry sat down and we were like, "Look, can you do negative SEO? Is this a thing? Should this function?" Google swears that it doesn't work, and we think it does. And so, what we came up with was, "Look, Google machine learning at scale. One of its weak points is that it's trying to filter out signal from noise, and if something looks normal, it looks normal." So what would normal look like for a website that's trying to build links uh, to help themselves rank? And what we came up with is they're going to go after the same keyword or set of keywords, and they're going to do it consistently over time, month after month after month. So people who do a big blast of crappy links to somebody once, it's not going to do any good. That looks abnormal. But if somebody is like deliberately trying to build keyword-rich links to your site month after month after month after month in normal-looking volumes, yeah, that looks normal. It looks like some, something that a stupid SEO would do and the type of thing that Google would want to penalize. So you can absolutely do negative SEO, and I'm pretty sure it still works, even though it's been a while since uh, I've tested it. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it in recent recent times where, yeah, exactly what you said. It's like the same anchor text for months on end and it seems like there's some tipping point where it's a critical mass and google's like all right something's weird here and then boom exactly yeah it it looks at the point where it looks like this is something they might be doing to themselves like they're trying to manipulate us yeah and there's you know there's no way for google really to algorithmically filter out that because either they're going to have to not penalize at all ever for links or negative SEO is still going to slip through if you can make it look normal enough. Yeah. So we should, we shouldn't even said that, but um, it's (laughs) it's good to know because essentially I think what you could do and Sam, you could confirm this, but if you're monitoring your backlinks, say once a quarter or something like that, once a month and you see some weird stuff going on that, they look like bad links, you can slowly disavow them and just kind of stay on top of it and don't let it get too out of hand and surprise you. Yeah, that's one way. You can also do some other interesting stuff. Uh, I feel like you can... I did this back in the day. I don't know if it still works. But you can use your HT access file to automatically redirect or send somebody somewhere who comes in from a specific domain or a specific page. So you could say, look, all right, we're going to go into our HT access file and anything that tries to come to our site through this link, we're going to automatically bounce them somewhere else. So I, I set it up, anybody who was sending crappy links to my site, if anybody actually went through one of those links, they'd go to the Rickroll video on YouTube. Uh-huh. You, you can do some funny stuff like that. I don't know how much it would it would help. But generally, yeah, you should probably monitor your links on a regular basis 
see if there's anything coming in that looks shady and add them to a disavow file periodically if they look bad. And Google, you know, they're they're pretty good. They're pretty good at catching most of the crappy stuff, but sometimes it slips through. Yep. And final, uh, one of the final questions here. Um, I think it was like in the last day, um, Google came out with information on specifying no follow links. Have you seen this? Yeah, the, yeah. So it's no follow UGC or sponsored, right? Yep. And yeah, UGC is the user generated content. So what's, what's your like initial take on that? Okay, so for a long time, I you know I've been swearing up and down that Google completely ignores no follows in a lot of instances, and the reason I came to that. So I used to write for Inc. an Entrepreneur, and I had friends who wrote for Forbes and a whole bunch of other places. And in the last few years, all of the major publishers have gone to no follow links by default sitewide for anything that gets put in the articles. Because a lot of the people who are writing content up there are selling links in their content. Mm -hmm. And so that was their easy blanket way to protect themselves from getting penalized for link selling happening on their sites. But when huge authoritative sites do that, you really jack with Google's PageRank and link graph. So now you're starting to mess with their ability to distribute value and authority around the web. And so I am certain that Google is ignoring those sorts of no-follows on sites like that when they're done in mass. You know, they're going to they're going to probably just pretend it's not there and then maybe selectively no-follow some of those things if they think it really fits. Um and so this is just a natural next step. I think this is probably Google trying to gather data to help them better identify which types of links are which so they can just do a better job of figuring it out automatically. Okay. They're using us to train their data. If if we do it. <laughs> if we do it. And I mean, obviously some will, right? Most of the major publishers have in-house SEOs. They're going to want to cover their bases. I, I think a lot of people will probably do it, or at least enough that Google will get the data they need. Right. And my take was always, um, it's simplified because I didn't look at, into it too much, but it was more like um, if a, a nofollow link was not sending any traffic to the target, then it probably wasn't worthwhile. If, if it was sending traffic, then, hey, that's a great link, even if it's like in a blog comment. Like, that's probably valuable if a lot of people are going to it. So, you, go ahead. No, I mean, maybe. Like, I, I think most of the use cases, you know, automatically appending it to all the comments in a blog post so that people who are doing comment spam can't get their links in. I think that's probably by far the most common instance of that being used. Um, but there are some instances where you may want to link to something and people are going to click it, but you don't want to endorse it. So maybe somebody did something really shitty online and you're writing about it and you're linking out to the the example of whatever they did and you don't really want to send any sort of value that way, but you do want to let people find it and call attention to it for the purposes of whatever you're doing. Um, so I think I think there's scenarios where that you know that would make sense in that way. But I think Google primarily is just looking for people to be honest and say, hey, you know, somebody paid us for this, so don't give them link value for it. Right. 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 Well, Sam, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think I should have asked you? I mean, we covered a lot of stuff. Uh, 
I mean, from my perspective, I'm probably biased, but I, I think really, you know, whether you have somebody in the house doing SEO or an agency or you need help, like having somebody do a checkup periodically, if it makes sense to have your own personal physical, it probably makes sense to have one for the thing making your money as well. So I would recommend doing that if you're not an SEO expert and you run a website and it makes you money, uh, have somebody at least take a look periodically. Very good. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Well, Sam, thanks a lot. Where can folks find you? I'll put links to everything so it's easy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm most responsive on Twitter, Sam's underscore antics on Twitter. Uh, and then I do all of my consulting through voodoo marketing.com V U D U. Awesome. All right, Sam, thanks a lot. Definitely appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Doug. Thanks again to Sam McRoberts and definitely check out Voodoo Marketing and you know check out Sam wherever else you want to follow him. We'll put links in the description and show notes and all that stuff. I'm going to cut it short today. I'm not going to ramble on too much. It is about beer 30 where I am at right now when I'm recording this, but I can tell you the next episode that's coming out, episode 83 of The Doug Show, is going to be with John Dykstra. People love that episode. John writes over at the Fat Stacks blog, and he and I are just kind of talking shop. We don't have um, like a specific uh, like topic. We jump around a little bit, and it's really kind of like a conversation that John and I were going to have anyway. And he was kind enough to let me record it, so it's kind of you know behind the curtain. And I'm also going to answer a few questions from listeners and viewers uh, over on the YouTube side. So that's episode 83. By the way, if you're new to the show and like you found me because Sam McRoberts was on the show, that's awesome. I'm really glad that worked out and I'm glad you're here and that you're still listening right now. I would encourage you, I ask you, I implore you to check out some of the other episodes. I'm not going to ask you right away to subscribe. You know, I would love it if you did subscribe, but check out some of the episodes. And if you dig it, then subscribe. All right. Really appreciate it. And if you do kind of like what you uh, hear and you would like to see what I look like, um, you're in for a real treat, you know, maybe a big disappointment, but I have a YouTube channel. And a lot of people uh, dig this stuff on YouTube. There are some long form interviews that are like an hour and a half, you know, and then I have like some super short segments in there. I have tutorials, all sorts of stuff, whatever it is you're looking for, I might have it. <laughs> so anyway, check out YouTube. If you just Google Doug Cunnington, you should be able to find it. There may even be a link in the show notes here. All right. So have a great day out there. We'll catch you on episode 83 with John Dykstra again and have a great day.